0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another one-on-one. Today, I'm in Salt Lake City sitting with Craig Dworkin, poet, writer, and professor at the University of Utah. He's also the founding senior editor at Eclipse, an online archive of poetry. How are you doing today, Craig?
1: Doing great. Good to be talking.
0: Yeah, really excited that you're joining me today. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was the Eclipse archive. Can you talk maybe more generally about its conception? How did it start? When did it start? What did it start with?
1: Eclipse started... So long ago, I don't actually remember exactly when, uh, when I began it, but I'd moved from the Bay Area and teaching at Berkeley with this fantastic library with access to small press, avant-garde, contemporary poetry, um, fantastic bookstores in town. You can find things used. Um, so the teaching and researching about recent experimental writing was effortless and, and, and easy in terms of coming across material. Um, and then I'd moved to Princeton with, you know, a famed and fabulous library that had no contemporary avant-garde poetry in it whatsoever. <laughs> um, and I realized that, you know, if in this, you know, fantastically privileged position of, you know, teaching at uh, this elite university you couldn't teach you know history of 20th century poetry no one virtually was going to be able to do it and at the same time there were uh, scholarly articles starting to come out about the history of language poetry some sort of 70s and 80s avant-garde in america and uh, people were writing about it without having ever read the primary documents you know in any other field in literary uh history would be unthinkable, right? You you would never tell, you would never write a book about Renaissance poetry and say, well, yeah, I've never actually read John Donne, but uh, let me tell you what I think about him. (laughs) And so I just wanted to make available to people who might be interested, who, um, it was very heated at the time, people who might be uh, really opposed to that avant-garde, also people who were excited readers, poets who were looking for inspiration, and primarily people who might want to teach work so started this digital archive to make these works available.
0: Was Pensound, Pensound being like sort of the audio side of, of a poetry archive, were they established yet? Do no. you know, or were they influenced? No, influence? U-
1: okay. Ubuweb was the model. Got um, it. Really directly. Um, in fact, Eclipse came about from uh, over dinner with Kenny. You know, he he really gave me the um, uh, the encouragement to do it. Uh, you know, I said I didn't know anything about computers. I didn't know anything about curating. Kenny convinced me that I could do it. Um, there was not that Just hard. Just put it
0: online. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so I taught myself HTML. I got a book out of the library. Oh, that's And, great. and went to.
0: Great. Maybe, could you talk maybe a bit about the process of getting works online and how is it all done basically by you?
1: Yeah, so it,
0: or do you have, you know, regional pockets of people, you know, someone in New York does some chapbooks there that you can't maybe immediately get here, or? No, most of
1: Eclipse is me with my library after I've got my boy to bed, and I'm just staying up late and scanning, scanning a book off my shelf. Um, Often with really mixed feelings, because I'm often destroying the binding of some rare and valuable book in order to make it more readily available. Some of the rest of the material, especially some of the runs of journals, of small press journals that we've put up, are done by, uh, by my co-editor Danny Snelson. But it, it is essentially local in that sense that it is, it's just the two of us sometimes have a, an intern who helps with things.
0: In terms of permissions or things like that, do you reach out to the to the authors before putting anything online?
1: Yeah, Eclipse, unlike uh, some of the other online archives that I've worked with, is one hundred percent above board, permissioned.
0: Yeah, because I would wonder because you know since a lot of these pieces have such small runs, have you ever gotten denied putting something up online?
1: Interestingly enough. Those are those are few and far between, mm-hmm. and mainly come from um, copyright holders who are not uh, who are not the authors themselves. Right. So, so you can't uh, get any Louis
0: Zukofsky up on Gwendolyn yeah. Brooks uh. <laughs>
1: estate, the widow of Joseph Caravallo. um I really wanted to have Fits of Dawn, uh, fantastically uh, experimental, weird, unprecedented unknown book um, that I, I was ready to destroy um, <laughs> to put online um, but you know she, she thought it was going to make her wealthy someday uh. um, we recently put on um, almost the full run of uh, Lynn Haginian Toowoomba press chapbook series oh wow um, and because it's a it was technically published as a journal it has ISSN numbers means that copyright, Mm. if you reproduce the entire thing, is only with the editor. So, legally, all we needed was Lynn's permission, but because of the nature of poetic communities, and because uh, Lynn is such a nice person, um, she actually asked all the authors, there must be about 45 authors individually, um, if they would be happy with putting things on. Uh, Only three people said no. Uh, Richard Costellanitz... declined uh-huh. um, and uh, Carla Harriman and Barrett Watton um, oh. both declined oh. but you know these are um, you know for, for every for every person like that you know, 25 people um, say, say yes, yes with enthusiasm and gratitude
0: I, I wonder since you know they these runs of these types of objects are so small there's um, an aspect of fetishization that can occur with the materiality of these things but it's good that you don't run up to too much of that. But maybe since you're, uh, as you say, maybe destroying some of these things, this is a pretty general question. But like, I almost want to ask, like, what that feels like to destroy the like <laughs> material one, you know, meat space version for the online version, and if there's what kind of like relationship you see between that object in your hands and the object online.
1: So part of the impulse behind Eclipse um, is. To um, and and the reason that the works are up there as image files um, is that as a literary critic, I'm really committed to um, the the semantic force, to the the signification and the the meaning of all of the material elements of a text. And so how it's bound and the kind of paper and the typography are part of the work for me. So um, on the one hand, that is exactly, I'm destroying Part of what I'm trying to make available um, to a viewer and but part of the argument of the the site in a slightly larger way is also that the online um, edition I think in bibliographic terms it's just an edition that the online edition is in fact just as material as the letterpressed, hand-sewn book and in some ways we I I think we're coming out of you know an initial Moment of rhetoric around the internet and the digital, which imagined it as being disembodied. Totally. Uh, which I, I mean, we're, we're gonna shake that soon yeah. enough. But also, in part, I think we don't yet quite. Have, I mean, it, it, it took lit- literary studies a long time to develop the the vocabulary for talking about the material specifics of bibliography in, in the book. And I think we just don't quite have the vocabulary for totally. thinking about how it is that digital editions are very embodied, but everyone who has tendinitis um, from dealing with a computer keyboard knows it is not disembodied. <laughs>
0: totally, uh, and yeah, I mean, there, there, there is that kinetic aspect of, you know, actually being on the computer, as well as I'm really glad that we're getting outside, out of the fallacy that these things aren't material, like, just as, like, um, because these things do exist somewhere on a server. They're just as material, you know. This material they're might be smaller. A, they're using
1: up a lot of fossil fuels. They're yeah. using up a lot of resources. <laughs> yeah, they get you know. hot. Things melt down. Yeah.
0: There's there was that one case where Facebook servers got so hot and were in a certain type of room that they actually formed real clouds and it started raining down on themselves, which I thought was you know just a perfect image of how these things there's are the material. Cloud for you. And there is that you know there is an example of you know an, an archive like eclipse and when Ubu, Ubu's um, server got hacked and they went down I mean that was an example of like how easily that these things can just you know these things that have this sort of illusion of permanence can just right. like be wiped away. I mean
1: that is the other you know I- irony of trying to preserve in some sense the dream of archives um, trying to preserve these print books which are you know pretty sturdy um, media um, likely to be around for hundreds of years uh, in uh, formats and configurations uh, in, in this digital world that are likely to be around for months, yeah, months exactly. or, yeah, or, or would... years. The early parts of Eclipse are on uh, zip drives, <laughs> if anyone remembers <laughs> what those are. The early files were coded in a proprietary file format. Um, Called Sid Files, Mr. Sid oh, wow. by Lizard Tech. Wow, uh, you know, and this is not that long ago. Mm-hmm. These are totally inaccessible, even to me. Uh, the first interface for Eclipse, um, which was donated by this uh, this grad student at MIT, who did the first uh, version of what today is very familiar JavaScript uh, 3D simulation of a word cloud coming with the words coming closer Ooh. and then receding it's the wow. first time it had ever been used um, it's a total black box we can't get into it now uh-huh. so it is uh, it is widely available and precariously impermanent
0: right and I love I mean that it has such um, synchronicity maybe with the ephemeral nature of these you know exactly. these Those fugitive publications these other objects I almost said original objects but I I, I worry about saying that but but that ephemerality you know exists in both um spaces i think i mean it's interesting i think a fetishization of um or an ephemerality of works online i think is importantly an aesthetics of that is emerging in a way as the vocabularies, as you said are being built up for those things and Keto Steril has that whole text in defense of the poor image mm-hmm. um, about more, more largely about cinema, but at least um, No, I think it's entirely production.
1: applicable including to the lousy, bluntly filtered JPEG images that we have for the first books we have on Eclipse um, mm. directly relevant Yeah.
0: <laughs> what, uh, what do you use now to scan? Are you using your iPhone to scan or do you have a, a, a real scanner? Uh, I have I a not
1: very fancy real scanner that is probably a 10-year-old off-the-shelf canon scanner and uh, for large format things we have a very fancy large bed scanner that uh, is a pain in the ass to use. So, uh, <laughs> oh, wow! I'm always grateful when poets publish things in small <laughs> format trims.
0: You mentioned Danny Snelson earlier and I know that his work I remember speaking with him a bit about databases mm-hmm. and coming at things through um, a le- sort of maybe a lens of that vocabulary involved in databases. Do you think of Eclipse through the through like the term database?
1: Yeah, database is a much better term than archive, which mm-hmm. I think is not really quite accurate for what Eclipse does. Though it is the term. Um, that I use. And Danny, in fact, just defended a um, absolutely brilliant um, dissertation, uh, which has a chapter on Eclipse, as well as other big, small databases mm. like Pensound uh, that you mentioned and like Web. So uh, a lot of what I've, a lot of how I've learned to think about Eclipse comes from learning from Danny's yeah. <laughs> uh, own work. His work, yeah. Um, and his practice you know, I think also speaks to the kind of materiality that we were talking about. He, he has a project um, forthcoming on, on Eclipse that is going to start from born digital publications, um, works from platforms like uh, uh, Troll Thread and Gauss mm-hmm. PDF. He's essentially going to print out then rescan <laughs> and put back in oh, wow. um, as newly digital uh, files on Eclipse. And so, um, you know, I think that that speaks better than anything to um, the materiality uh, that is involved, even with um, accessing um, born digital documents.
0: Right. Right. As an editor of Eclipse, so you, is there any sort of curating that you do? Uh, Maybe is a good word for it. Any sort of anything that you try and bring to the archive—that does it, um, or is it just um, you put on sort of what you're able to come across?
1: One of the things um, that I'm always looking for are works that I think make a difference if they're part of the consciousness of of the historic record. Uh, So many of them are things that are in some ways unprecedented or in in their moment, but they maybe speak to contemporary practices or are works that I think change our general sense of, of the map of what was done or what could be done and so um, it's. I tend to like all the stuff that's on it, and since most of these books are just coming from my shelves, they're, they're, they're things I have, and, and because I I like them, and because I read them, it's not meant to be so much a, an archive of valuation. It's not just stuff that I think is good. Um, and there's some really bad stuff on there.
0: <laughs> you do not have. You don't have to say which. You think uh, I'm you're not going to name any <laughs> names,
1: but just because uh, you know, I think something's like, you know not a great. Book. It doesn't mean that it's not an important book because it showed someone doing something that hadn't been done or... In, in some ways, you know, my, my imaginary audience is someone who's maybe not, um, you know, an expert in small press avant-garde of the 70s, but um, someone who's interested in contemporary poetry, maybe is teaching a class on contemporary poetry, and. They think, oh, James Merrill is really as experimental as it gets. That they can take a look at this and say, oh, okay. I still want to be reading James Merrill, but it is not as crazy as it gets. Right. <laughs> um, so, get yeah, changing, changing the sense of the, the landscape.
0: Yeah, and I, yeah, that was actually maybe the, the word that I would use too is getting like as much of a textured kind of landscape as you can. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things. I think. Do you do any? Anything as in you use the word addition before? Would you say have there been, been any releases on Eclipse as a new editions of uh, works?
1: Yeah, uh, there's a you know not the not the main focus of the project, but um, a growing aspect of Eclipse is our, our new born digital works mm-hmm. that I think of as the kinds of works that would. Be published by the presses that Eclipse features if they were still in production today. So, if mm. Sun and Moon, or if the figures were still um, as active as it was in in 1980, what is, what is the exciting work that would be coming from them? Kenneth Goldsmith's Traffic, for instance, um, most recently a um, absolutely brilliant reimagining of. Clark Coolidge's book, Space, um, by uh, a poet named Amanda Hurtado, um, who tracked down um, this specific model of typewriter uh, that must have been used to set the um, pages for Coolidge's books. is this work oh, wow. of media archaeology, uh, abstracted language, um, and... Uh, beautiful critical uh, intervention uh, that understands the the body of the typist in relation to the machine, in relation to the poem, uh, and suggests all kinds of things about um, the myths and realities of Coolidge's own prosodic uh, spontaneous work shows that some of his poems are essentially left-handed poems, mm. some are composed for the right hand, um, oh, wow. so works like this that are immensely exciting and in some ways don't have, don't have the range of small presses available today that they would have 15 years ago.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds awesome. We can sort of end We can touch on no medium for a bit, if you want to talk about how materiality um, and your research on an interest in materiality through Eclipse maybe influenced some pieces of no medium, or if they did, or...
1: Yeah, early on, uh, from the very beginning, when I started um, first scanning books for Eclipse, um, I insisted that, you know, we scan every, you know, blank verso page that we scan every blank fly leaf um, and end paper Um, not because I could imagine what anyone would do with it but I wanted all that material um, available to some future reader, some future scholar Um, It reveals things about printing method and lead through and binding and who knows what else but part of the ideology behind Eclipse is that I don't want to try and predict or imagine or limit what people will do with the material. So I want to make as much available as possible. Um, This is why there's no metadata. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, tagging. When I I first set it up and worked with a consultant at the Princeton Library, they wanted me to uh, to have metadata tags for uh, every metaphor in a poem. They said, well, you could you could tag every water imagery. First, show that they did not understand, you know, Bruce Andrews' poetry, um, but also that um,
0: <laughs> every leaf, every leaf of, yeah, leaf of grass. This is not. The, <laughs> it's.
1: I don't want to imagine what people want to do. Um, I want to make it as, as available as possible. Um, uh, but it also used to drive these 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 initial consultants crazy that I was that you know I was doubling our file size um, by scanning every blank page of this <laughs> full beautiful. Uh, you know, 600 DPI full-color scan of a blank piece of paper. Um, And that, in some ways, is also where no medium uh, originated. There, as a sort of challenge to myself, as a potential uh, scholar and and critic, um, to kind of put my money where my mouth was and say, all right, well, if I really believe, if we really believe that, Um, all the material aspects of a book are um, significant, both in the sense that they are important and also that they signify that they're meaningful. (laughs) I wanted to write full-on, full-length scholarly, serious literary critical readings art historical readings Mm. of blank media, with the challenge being that I wasn't allowed to say the same thing from chapter to chapter Mm. and that I wasn't allowed to fall back too quickly on the kind of Lurid rhetoric of high theory um, that I was not allowed to get too too soon to something about absence or aporia right. or the void yeah. or anything like that. But really, to read it,
0: um, right. so I'm reminded of like um, certain a way of writing through protocols and something another thing that I'm generally interested in too. But you know that's sort of where these where my fascination with these blank objects exists is like through the protocols of their creation you know there's you know the protocols of like the ream the blank ream of paper i wonder maybe if you have any thoughts on protocols as they might relate to ways of writing for, ex- for example you have like a very parse um, your book of poetry that is very strictly but one of the most strictly <laughs> written by a protocol pieces of writing that i've ever come across um, maybe if you have any thoughts on how that kind of modes of writing relates to algorithms and the way that um, software or um, projects that are pieces of writing that are built on those types of pro- protocols relate, and if you see if the relationship there is maybe is one to one for you, or if you have any thoughts. That is a bit of a like jump, but. Well, tell me more what you're thinking because you so,
1: you've got to start on this yeah and now
0: we'll call <laughs> okay um, All right. And Kenny writes in uncreative writing the writing of the future will be done by robots or like and that there's all of this writing going on right now um, by machines for machines not for people and that the, this way of writing is just could be just as interesting to read or looked at through a lens of um, literary theory and should be given that sort of rigor. Do you think that there's, do you see an aesthetic relationship between that kind of writing? This is what I what I've called dark writing. Okay. Um, writing that exists, you know, yeah. like somewhere out there in the yeah. universe that we don't, you know, at humans do not ever see um, or can't actually really read in a lot of cases.
1: As readers as, and, and as, you know, kind of the professional readers, the literary critics are, we've not even begun to wrap our heads around The implications of the fact that the vast majority of writing today by orders of magnitude is by machines for machines Um, that yeah as you say we're never we're not meant to read we're never gonna read Um, so that you know if if one takes a step back and is actually interested in writing today most of that writing is uh, is machining right I don't know I don't know quite what to say about this, except it strikes me as being uh, a profound um, change uh, in the state of the right, course. and
0: especially in terms of like what can writing do? It can, you know, watch. You can. It can make a billion dollars disappear, um, in like because yeah, less of a
1: than bug. A second. <laughs> one way to get at this then is is to is come back to that creative writing classroom. You know, one one of the ways that. Writers tend to talk is about how to write more. That one of the problems of creative writing is, you know, is the writer's block. Is how what how can you generate text when you know we are drowning in texts that no no one person could ever read. Um, that even if you narrow it down to something like uh, contemporary small press avant-garde poetry, n- no one person <laughs> can read all of it. No one can read what's published this week. Right. Um, so the problem for the problem for creative writing is how to reduce what you're writing, how to keep yourself from writing, how to know when to stop, and especially as mm. um, you know, as we have an expanded sense, at least, of of the tools available, um, which is to say both avant-garde techniques um, and also the <coughs> scripting and the sort of things that that can generate material. For you um, the trick I think is, is to figure out how to um, end a project, how to constrain it and that comes back to I think al- algorithm in, in a certain in a certain way they're useful because they show you where to stop.